Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You are the air we breathe, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you that you're always reaching out to restore us, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that there's not one person, it doesn't matter if they are the bully or the bullied, God, that, that you don't reach out for. I just give you praise, God. Thank you, Jesus. I shared a thing on Facebook last night, I think. There was a quote from Charles Spurgeon that said, um, while everybody else is standing around congratulating themselves, I'm just praying and wondering how in the world I managed to be saved at all. I just thank God. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. How many of y'all feel that way sometimes? God, thank you. Thank you, God, that you save us, that you save us, that you reach out to us, God, when we don't deserve it. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. You know, the world has tried to tell us in recent years that, that fathers are kind of the disposable member of the family. It's, what they, it's the way they act. And they even sometimes say it. You know, we hear about um, we hear a lot of women who have been mistreated and, and who rightfully are able to, to be strong in themselves and they say, I don't need a man. And that's turned into a mantra that I don't, I don't need a man and my kids don't need their dad. I can be everything that they need me to be because I'm a mom. But a mom has an has a important divine role and it's not being a dad. And a dad has an important divine role, and it's, it's not being a mom. It's, it's, it's our own place. And we have, you know, we have to get away from that idea that... And so we, what we've done is we've created a generation of dads, of young dads who have no idea what their importance is. And so they go off and they work all the time and they're not at home and be in presence with their children. And our kids lack because of it. Our, our, my generation, I think, was probably one of the first generations that grew up predominantly with that idea. And, and we lacked because of fathers not in the home. Fathers not being present to be dads and be fathers. Not, it's not just our role to provide. It's not just our role to, um, to work and bring in a paycheck and let our wife handle everything. It's our role to be fathers. My, gran my grandmother gave me the greatest compliment for Father's Day. She sent me a card or whatever, too, but she gave me the greatest compliment I think I could ever got for Father's Day. And she said, you remind me so much of your grandfather, you know, he went to heaven year, several years ago, um, and just the way you love your children, she said, you don't see that in dads very much anymore, that just love their kids and want to be with their kids and want to raise their kids and want to love, you know, want to spend time and play with their kids and teach their children. She said, you don't see that very often. She said, you just remind me so much of him. 
And he was, um, my grandfather was a great, great man. And so that was, that was the greatest Father's Day gift you could have given me. Um, we're going to take a text today. That wasn't part of my sermon. That was just bonus. Um, we're going to look at Malachi chapter 4. Verse 1. And it says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yes, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. That's a wonderful Father's Day message, isn't it? We're going to get there, though. Um, What God's saying is that there's a time that he has ordained that's coming for every one of us. That those of us who are proud are going to be, that pride is going to be burnt up and consumed. There's a day when if we're wicked, we're just, we're going to be left with nothing. And that day he tells us about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 10. And, it's, and Paul says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on that foundation, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, and jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So God says that what is the fire coming to consume? It's our work. Not just our work, but the purpose of it is to determine what the value of our work is. Is it wood, hay, straw? We know what happens to wood, hay, and straw when it gets tried by fire. It just burns up and it's gone. Or is it gold, silver, and precious jewels? And we know that if we get gold, we pass it through the fire, it gets refined and beautified and turned into something even better than what it already was. And it says that there's a day that's coming back in Malachi chapter 4, when we're just going to burn as an oven. It's going to be, we've been singing about fire all day long. And so that fire is here to try us and to see why do we do the work for God that we do? Is it because I'm proud and I want somebody to notice how spiritual I am? Is it because I want somebody to serve me? Is it, or is it because I'm out of a humble heart, I'm just trying to serve God the best way I know how. You know, I think some one thing that we can agree on, and I'll ask you, that it doesn't matter what you think about your own works, it ma- your intentions or your own feelings. It matters what the truth of the works are. We make a lot of excuses for ourselves, right, about why we do stuff. We say it all the time. How many of us have just have said, probably recently, I didn't mean to say that to you. I didn't mean that. Right, But it doesn't matter what we think. It matters what the truth is. It matters the way other people take it. 
Because if I perceive you to be um, rude and self-righteous the way you're talking to me, guess what? You could have meant it in the most polite and wonderful way in the world. But if everybody says, every time you talk to me, it feels like you're talking down to me and I feel belittled and degraded and you're self-righteous, then guess what? The truth is, you're self-righteous. And we don't like to see ourselves like that because we really like the narrative that we put in our own head about our intentions. We really enjoy that one because there always is a reason why I do the things I do. Nobody does anything for no reason at all. We have a reason why we do stuff. I can't come to practice and be committed to worship practice because, you know, I just have a, I, I had this come up. I had that come up. I had, I had all these things. I can't be in prayer as much as, you know, I'm exp- I should be in prayer because, you know, I just, I just work and I've got kids and I've got all these other things going on and I just can't pray that much. And God understands. And God knows my heart. God understands my intentions. And he does understand our intentions. And he does understand our heart. Because he put it in the Bible. He said the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So much so that we deceive ourselves When we say, God, you know, you know I'm trying, God. You know I'm trying, God. Why, how do we get to the place where that's just the great excuse? Of, that's the greatest one of all. You know I'm trying, God. You know I'm trying. Help me, Jesus. No one comes to serve God and consciously decides, you know, I have a choice. I can produce work that it's gold, silver, and precious jewels, or I can produce work that's wood, hay, and straw. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to choose to produce the work that's wood, hay, and straw today. No one consciously makes that decision. That doesn't change the truth, though, that many times the work that we do is wood, hay, and straw. Um, We are the way we are because we think we're right. We are the way we are because we justify it. And what we're doing in our own head, we believe we're right. And unless the Holy Spirit shows us ourselves, how can we even see the truth of what's going on in our heart? The truth that our our works may be good, but our motivations make our works worthless. And that's the truth he's getting at in Malachi chapter 4, is that there's a day coming when everything's just going to burn like an oven, and we're going to see what the reality of the situation is. And he says in verse 2, he goes on to say, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Now, we don't, may not get that King James um, saying of growing up as calves of the stall, another, but Amplified and other translations I looked at says, you're going to go out like calves that have been kept up in a stall and they're finally let out to pasture, leaping for joy. That's what he says. He says, so, and there's an interesting thing here because, you know, there's no mistakes in the Bible. A lot of, I've actually never read this before this week. I was reading the scripture and I've, I've never even stopped to look at the word son of righteousness. I've always read it because I didn't even look. S-O-N, the son of righteousness. Jesus, of course, son of righteousness. But he says here, the S-U-N, the son of righteousness, 
we know that the sun burns stuff up, right? It is the hottest thing in our solar system anyway. It will burn us up. And so the sun can come, the sun of righteousness can come upon us, and it can do one of two things. It can burn us up, where he says that if you're proud, you're just going to be stubble. It's not even going to leave a root or a branch of your pride. Or we can say if we fear the Lord, that same sun, those same, that same heat you know, another, I read in the Amplified Version, it says um, he'll rise with healing in his wings and beams. So the, the beams of the sun that may burn us up, instead is healing to us. That he arises with healing in his wings and his beams and will go forth and leap for joy. And the next verse it says, as we're going out leaping for joy, we're going to tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of our feet. God's already defeated our enemies for us. He's already burned them up. We just get to go out and jump around like calves led out to a pasture for the first time, jumping, leaping for joy on the ashes of, of the proud. Amen. So what I want to deal with today is pride. We've been talking about a superior spirit a lot. And that's just something that is, that makes you think you're better than somebody else. But you know, there's another side to pride. And that is, if, if for somebody who's, who has said, of all the spirits that may operate in my life, I'm the least superior person I know. You know that spirit tells on itself. Now, this is a revelation, okay? Because when we have that mindset that I'm the least superior person that you know, then I think so poorly of myself that I can't imagine myself being prideful because I'm that bad. I'm that less than, I'm that worthless, that I'm, I, I'm the least superior person that you know. But... Can I just expose something for a second? So if, if I walk into a room and I walk over and stand in a corner and wait on you to come over and say something to me. Now, in my mind, what I'm thinking is nobody here wants to have anything to do with me. I'm so insecure. I don't, I mean, if I go up and talk to somebody, they're going to think, what in the world is she doing talking to me? Why is he coming over here saying this something to me? I'm, I have all these feelings of self-doubt. But what's, we just, we all agreed just a minute ago that what matters is the truth of our actions and the way they look to people, not the interior, the thing going on, all the thoughts going on in our head, okay? So the truth is that I decided I'm going to stand over here in the corner and wait on somebody else to come over and serve me and make my feelings feel a little bit better about myself, make me feel a little bit more secure before I will open up and say anything to you. I know that's a really hard thing for us to get if we, if we operate in that side of a superior spirit because it's the exact opposite of what the devil's putting in our mind. What he's putting in our mind is, I'm less than, I'm worthless, I'm so insecure, I'm afraid, I'm all of these other feelings that don't have anything to do in my mind with superior. I'm not superior. But what the act of it is and what the truth of it is and what the end result is, is that 
I want you to come and serve me. I want you to come over here and give me and make me feel a little bit better in my self-esteem that you want to have something to do with me. I want and and after you're done with me, I'm gonna stand over there again until Pastor comes over and until this person comes over. Jesus, help us. I'm going I'm just gonna wait and make this person come talk to me. I'm just gonna let you, let that sink in for a second. It's hard. It's hard. I I get it. I do understand because, and I say I get it because, I was that way. Come into a room. Nobody. I know nobody wants to hear what I have to say. I've, you know, there's all these esteemed godly people in here. I'm just gonna sit right over here and be quiet. I'm sit over here and be quiet. And wait on somebody to come talk to me. Make them make them make me feel better about myself and that I should be a part of the conversation. I'm willing you invite me over. Make me feel welcome. Make me feel good. And so I want you to serve me by making me feel better about myself. That is superior. That is pride. And so when we do work for God. Even if in our mind I'm doing all the stuff and I know nobody, I'm doing it to sacrifice God because you know nobody don't even want anything to do with me. I'm just here, I'm just doing all this as a sacrifice. The work, though, if the motivation is I want somebody to tell me something good about myself, I want somebody to make me feel a little bit better about myself. I'm going to do this and maybe pastor will notice me. I'm going to do this and maybe people will see, oh, you know, Casey does do He's so spiritual. Look at him. That work, I got all the reward out of that work I'm going to get when that person gave me a compliment. That's it. That is all I got. And some of us have noticed when we get real frustrated that God, that God brings the day when they quit giving you them compliments because that source dries up. And then some people say, well, I don't want to go to church anymore. They made me feel bad about myself. They hurt my feelings and whatever. They don't, they don't feed me. Jesus, help us. They don't feed me. But you know, the Bible says about feeding, though, in Hebrews, he said, why do I have to keep going over baby stuff with you all the time and giving you milk? It's time for you to feed yourself with some, some meat. Oh, Jesus. Um, I said last week, I said, you know, if you just say I'm shy, you're not shy. Shy isn't a personality trait. Shy is a spirit. It's not okay. It's not okay. And the reason it's not okay is because shy, insecure, superior, whatever, however we want to categorize this thing it makes us sit over there and not talk instead of sharing the love of God with somebody else. Now, the Bible tells us that perfect love, 1 John 4.18, we can read it, 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth 
is not made perfect in love. So God says, if I'm afraid and I stand over here on the side and I sit down and I be quiet and I act like I'm shy and that's okay because I'm shy. Don't make me do anything. I'm shy. God said, you have not been made perfect in love. That's why I can say that shyness is not a personality trait and it's not cute and it's not okay. Not for me. Not because I want to see you dance and holler and shout. I don't care about any of that mess. What I care about is when you leave here, does love come up inside of you to overcome fear so that you reach out to somebody else? If we can't overcome fear, if we, which is still pride, if I can't overcome a feeling in me that says, well, somebody else just needs to make me feel a little bit better about myself before I do anything, then I'm not made perfect in love yet. The love of God is not flowing through me yet because there's no fear in it. Perfect love casts out fear. Doesn't mean I didn't feel afraid, and we do have to recognize that feelings aren't always from God. It may mean I don't feel afraid, but it means that when perfect love comes up in me, I allow that love to overcome and cast out fear, and I operate in love anyway. Now, how does love act? Love comes over and says, hey, I'm the first one. You didn't even look at me today, but I'm the first one. You didn't look at me. But you may not even look at me today, but I'm going to come over and say something first because I love you. When love is flowing out of me, I'm the one who comes up because I have love in me. I don't, I don't even care what you may be going on in your conversation because I have love that flows out of me. Now, what person here may be standing around talking at church or wherever and thinks when somebody comes up, here they come to love me again. Here they come. Well, you know, when Brother Ernie when Brother Ernie comes up to me, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. A smile comes up on my face because he's full, full of love. Full of love. It just flows out of him. I stop whatever I'm doing. He can hug on me. He can love on me because I, I love I love that love flowing out of him. He never interrupts anything because he operates in love. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. When we flow in love, we create the atmosphere of love wherever we go. That's a wonderful, nobody doesn't like love. It doesn't matter if you're in the church and afraid. It doesn't matter if you're in the world and high on drugs. It doesn't matter. Everybody loves somebody that loves them. You don't even have to be perfect in it. You think, well, I'm going to say the wrong thing. It, you know what? It doesn't, because love covers a multitude of sins. You don't even have to be perfect in that. You can mess up. As long as you're flowing in love, that person will know your love. They may laugh at you. I mean, you know, in a funny way, not making fun of you, because nobody belittles somebody who loves them. Oh, God. So why don't we do that? Why don't we do it? And we just have to take the mask off um, because we don't like to do things that are uncomfortable for us. Well, you know, Pastor Angie, she's busy and she's off in the spirit. And if, and if, if I'm supposed to obey God today, then she's going she's gonna to let me know. She'll call me up. It makes her tired, and it's superior. Who in? Oh God, 
I don't want I don't want to be harsh, but what I want to say is, I'm gonna say it anyway, I guess. Who do we who do we think we are that we should receive a formal invitation? That first of all, God spoke to us, and that wasn't enough. God speak to Pastor and tell her to call me on up there if I'm supposed to do something. If I have a word, if I have something I need to share, a spiritual song, whatever. The Bible already told us we're supposed to come with those things and be ready. And when God moves on you and says, do it, then that's what you should do. It's superior to say, well, I want my pastor to serve me today, make me feel a little bit better about myself, and make me feel secure and, and acting out on faith. That's not faith anymore. That's just obedience, which is good, and there is a blessing in obedience, but there's not, it's not faith. It's not faith. I know, you know, I, I know we don't see it that way sometimes. We see it in that, in that narrative that we put in our head, which is, I'm so insecure, I just don't know. I, need, I just need some reassurance. I need someone to shore me up. I, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Right? I need. I need. Is God in us the need meter? Or is he not? That's the question, though. Is he, is he enough to meet that need in me? It's okay to feel like I need to be shored up a little bit. It's not okay to make somebody else do it. It's, it's okay to ask God to do it for me. And, you know, I'm saying all that. There's no, there's no condemnation in Jesus. Because we exist in him. We exist by him. We exist through him. We get presented through him to our Father so that when God sees us, he only sees perfection. He only sees his perfect, spotless son. And so, you know, Pastor said something a couple weeks ago, and I, and I actually I keep talking about it. I told her about it yesterday, but it hadn't left me. In Sunday school, that's why you don't miss Sunday school, because you just never know when some revelation. Pastor said one sentence. One sentence, and it's a, it's been a, it's just been in me ever since then. And she said, um, I didn't have to worry about, you know, I did, I, there was a time I didn't feel worthy. I'd been out in the world, been doing whatever. I didn't feel worthy to come in and praise God. But I had to see that it was God that's worthy of praise. It didn't have anything to do with me. Because God's worthy of praise, I praise Him. Amen? Because He's worthy. Because I put my faith in Jesus, I have enough because I'm covered by Him. I have enough to obey God. I have enough to just get out of fear and show love to somebody else. I have enough. I have enough to listen to God. I have enough. We're going to talk about fathers, too. Oh. He says that the prideful are going to be ashes under the feet of the children of God. So when we fear God, when we've made ourselves low and we've said, God, search out every motivation in my heart that's making me act ways that aren't, that are serving me and not serving you. When we, when we do that, that's the difference in our work being ashes that's getting trampled on and and God becoming a healer to us, rising with healing in his wings and letting us go out 
like calves let out and dance around and have fun because we are finally made free. Amen? I want to be free. It's not free to be afraid. It's not free to sit over here and be so emotionally needy that God has to send somebody over to help me. Now, if we, I'm not talking about baby Christians. I'm talking about people who are struggling to be saved today. I'm talking about if I've been in this church for 17 years, my God in heaven, I should come with something for somebody else. talking with someone a little while back and they said well you know I, what I always done is I just go to pastor and um, and they, they tell me what to do and, and they get me fixed up for a few months and I'm good for a few months do whatever and in a few months I have to come back to church and get have, some, have them tell me what to do again and I said is, how long have you been doing that 20, 20 years like it's time to, to grow up it's time to grow up and, and, and commit your life and hear from God yourself and bring something for somebody else. At, at this point, you should be helping other people. Let's read the rest of Malachi chapter 4. And he says, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember you the law of Moses my servant which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The very last promise of the New Testament, my favorite. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. God's I'll be back statement at the end of the Old Testament before Jesus came was I'm coming back and what I'm going to do is the miracle I'm going to work is that I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and I'm going to turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers so that when the son of righteousness arises with healing in his wings, he can bring healing to the one of the most important relationships in our life. Now this week I was praying and I was and I said, God, you know, there's people who it's they're coming to Father's Day, and the idea of Father's Day makes them a little bit sick to their stomach because they have to give honor to a man that they don't actually honor. Because our relationships with our fathers are broken. And you may be here listening to me right now, and the very idea that I'm suggesting that you need to heal your relationship with your father also makes your stomach turn a little bit. Let's be honest. We got let's take the mask off and be honest. But what I saw is that we can't truly, not truly, be restored to God in the right way as our Father without having healing come in the way we view our our earthly father. Because our earthly father, like it or not, better or worse teaches us who God is to us. Some of them failed miserably. Some of us have failed miserably as fathers and just try our best. But it's still the truth. 
we have a very, without healing taking place, we can't view God, our Father, in the right way without some healing taking place. Without, if we had a father that was not a godly example, if we had a father who, who messed up more than he was right, if we had a father who hurt us, and they do, that happens, who left us, who abandoned us, who made us feel like we weren't important enough to be there. And that's why I said, you know, I started off talking about all of these intentions don't matter. And I'm not telling the story to shame my father. I'm telling it because he's, my father was a fantastic father and, and he did do right. Um, but I remember being a very young child and my father went off and worked offshore. He was gone for four weeks at a time. And I would sit at the door and cry and wait on my dad to come home. It didn't matter that he was working for me. It didn't matter that he was making money. We would have been better off being broke and my dad being home. We would have, it would have just been better. It'd be better to be on food stamps and work at the Walmart than it would be for a little boy to be to wait on his dad to come home. And so what does that do? Now, my dad's a man of God. He's a man of God. He, he's a, and he's, um, I'm, you know, he doesn't allow sin into his life. It's holy. He missed it right here, and, that, and it's okay. Um, but I had, I had to take that to God, though, and say, God, I judged my dad because he left, because he was gone, and he picked other people and he picked jobs and he picked money over me. He picked success over me. I'm not saying quit your job and stay at home and don't work. I'm saying I'm saying that when, when we take on the role of father do you know that there is no other calling on earth? Biblically. Biblically. There's no other calling on earth that is greater than father. Because we model God the Father to our children. We teach them how God loves them all through their early years. And if I'm not there to do it, who's going to fill that role? There is nobody to fill the role of Father if it's not me, the Father. That's why we honor fathers on Father's Day. But, you know, there's, there's this idea in the world that how did this lie happen in America? Maybe it's in the world as a whole that, that we're just disposable. There's just, you know, I've even seen in the, in the church before. I told the men's meeting last, last time we were together. I said, um, we're, we're talking about fatherhood and being the man of the house and all that. And I said, you know, why... What is this idea that dads can't parent? How do, where did that come from? It, it happened somewhere between when my grandfather was a father because he parented, he was present, and the next generation who chose to be away and work all the time and seek after success and money or whatever they sought after, it happened somewhere in between there where they bought into this idea where that, you know, if I just work, I'm, that's, that's enough. 
just work. I'm making the money. That's my job is to make the money. It's my wife's job to handle everything else. And that's a lie. And I know it's all over. It's just in churches because I remember I told this. Y'all probably may have heard this story before. Um, With one of our babies, probably both of them, I, I can remember times where I'm sitting there holding my baby. I love my babies, love my kids. And um, somebody wants to hold the baby. A woman. You know, men don't go pick up other people's babies normally. We like our babies. We don't like yours. But um, we... Uh, um, they, they'll pick up the baby, you know, they play with it, whatever. The baby starts crying. Now, I'm sitting right there next to them, and my wife is on the other side of the church. They will pick, get up, leave me, and go over to my, find my wife to give the crying baby to her. Now, I'm the dad. I'm perfectly capable of taking care of my crying baby. It's my baby. Mine. <laughs> So we've, we've accepted this idea, and, I, and I'm just saying that to illustrate the point. We've accepted an idea of what fathers are, who they are, that's not right. We accepted it without really ever questioning it because it is very important. It is the role of a father to provide for his family, and that is an important role. But it's just a part of the role of a father. The most important part of a role for a father is to raise up his children to serve God, to see who God is through him. And if we read in Malachi chapter 4, he gives us the promise. What is the promise? At the end of the Old Testament, he said, I'm coming back and it's going to be great because I'm going to restore the hearts of the father to their sons and the hearts of the sons to their fathers. And then he says something else. He said, and if I don't, I'm going to smite the earth with a curse. That relationship is so important that if we don't get it right, it brings a curse into our life. Now, I know that's a harsh statement. I don't know y'all's daddies. I know that some of them were bad. And I hate that. I, I hate it with all my heart. God hates it. But he says, your heart has to be restored to your father. The forgiveness has to come in because if it doesn't, you're bringing a curse into your life. And our, us fathers, our hearts have to be restored to our children. When we seek after everything else in the world but being present as a dad of modeling God the Father to our children, of going after, I may I say I'm going to be gone all the time and I'm seeking after money, I'm seeking, I'm going to, you know, we got to, well, we got to have a new car, we got to have all these wonderful things, so I got to work harder and harder and harder. And we're not alone in that. Sometimes our wives want us to work harder and harder and harder. Mine doesn't. Mine does not push me to do that. But many do. Then we, we buy into the same lie, though, and we bring and we're a part of the same curse because he says there's two things that have to happen. The hearts of our fathers have to be restored to their children and the hearts of our children have to be restored to our fathers. So we're going to pray that God does both of those things today. Amen? We can't be superior over our children. Our children aren't here to serve us and make me feel good about myself. That's not their purpose. 
My child's purpose is not to make me feel like I'm a great dad. My child's purpose is not to build up whatever self-esteem issues I'm lacking in. My child's purpose isn't to have me to have somebody to boss around because I feel out of control in other areas of my life. That's not my child's purpose. My purpose is to lay down my life for my child. My purpose as a father is to show them God. That whenever they mess up, I love them. You got to get it right, but I love you no matter what you did. My purpose is that when they need me, I'm right there. They can always call dad because I can always call God. And it doesn't matter what I did what I didn't do, God's always, always right there for me. God doesn't have a need in himself that he's trying to feel through me. God is all sufficient in himself and he pours out love to me no matter what, what I did to him. He's not off doing his own thing. He exists to have a relationship with his children. And we don't see that about God if we don't have a right relationship with our Father. We view God however we view our Father, and that is, my daddy wasn't there for me. My daddy liked alcohol better than me. My daddy liked money better than me. My daddy liked being off with other other people better than me. That's how we view God. We don't like to admit it. We don't like to talk about it. No, I forgave my daddy. My daddy's a good man. Blah, 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 blah. But if we hadn't dealt with hurt... The hurt, it's an actual hurt. There's not an excuse. We make excuses when we're adults and we say, you know, my daddy did all he could do, whatever. I know he was a good man. He worked hard. But he left me. And that hurt my three-year-old self. My three-year-old self did not understand money. My three-year-old self understood I have a daddy who isn't here. Your three-year-old self understood my My daddy gets mad and beats my mom. Your three-year-old self understood that my daddy drinks sometimes and comes home mad. A second ago, he was happy with me and wanted to love me, and now he wants to hit throw me into the wall. That's what my three-year-old self understands. And until we can get real with God and say, my God, I hate, hated my daddy, hated him. How can I even trust that you are my father? I maybe can see you as a God who controls everything, but I can't even begin to understand God my father on this Father's Day because I don't even want to give my daddy a card because I hated him. And it doesn't, all the things in our head, in our mind that we go on, my, you know, my daddy worked hard and he was all right, you know, it was fine. He, he really did love me. All the things that we, that we, that we've justified and made up in our head to make us feel okay. It's not okay. It wasn't okay if your father did not model God to you because that was his purpose. And if you're hurt because of it, and you are if he did it, we're hurt because of it. If I'm a dad, it's not okay that I go and do something else. I don't get to have my own life. Just like with God, I don't get to do my own thing and seek after filling my own needs. I have a child Who has to understand that a father is always there. A father is always teaching in love. A father is always accepting. A father is always there whenever you need help. 
That is a father. I'm not perfect in it. But when I'm not, I do know enough I can go to my children and say, now, first of all, I apologize. And second of all, we can't let unforgiveness in your heart or you're going to be 30 years old and have to get delivered. So let's deal with this right now. Oh, Jesus. Wanting a relationship to be better doesn't make it work. That's why I started off where I started off. We have to understand that my thoughts, my, my own idea of my intentions do not matter. What my father's intentions were didn't matter. I'm every father, every one of them, from the best to the worst, thinks they've made up in their head how they're they're a good father for whatever reason that they're doing whatever they're doing. They justify in themselves. My intentions don't matter. The fruit matters. My dad's intentions of I'm going to go to work and I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to I'm going to have to sacrifice, you know, not be around my kid. It's not about you being around your kid. It's about, I mean, for yourself, it's about your kid having his dad there. If my my father's intentions, the things that I've justified, even what he's justified to me, it doesn't matter. What matters is the truth of the actions that were done. The truth is he picked something else besides being a dad. And that's ugly. We don't, some of us don't want to say it about, some of us don't mind saying it about our father and we say, I'm also not going to forgive him for it. We're all in different places. Amen? But the truth is my daddy left. My daddy did these things to me. My daddy hurt me. Maybe my dad was a vet and came home acting crazy. Whatever. We can justify, but, you know, he really is a good man. He wasn't a good man. Can we say that honestly? I'm not talking about your daddies. I'm saying we have to get to the truth. The truth of how I feel in my heart. So that we can be restored on Father's Day. And if, you're, if you hate your daddy, I'm not saying be restored for your daddy's sake. I'm saying be restored for your sake, your relationship with God. Because you can't get right with God without allowing healing to come into that relationship with your father. And I'm sorry that makes you feel sick to your stomach. I'm sorry that you don't want to do it. I'm sorry that your father was that bad to you. Sorry. God, what do we do with those feelings, God? Oh, my God in heaven. We need for us, for fathers, for us to be fathers. We have, we have to, we have to to forgive our fathers. We have to allow healing to come into there and begin to see what a godly father is by allowing God to model it for us. Our dads may never be right. May never be. It just is what it is. May never be. But when I allow healing to come in, I can be a, a godly father. I can. And my son, my daughters, 
can grow up and know what a godly father looks like. They can grow up and, and not have a hindrance and a stumbling block to trying to go after a relationship with God, their father, one day because of the way I treated them. I want to invite us to come and, and seek after God for healing, but most of all, I want to speak to those of you who say, I don't even want to come up to that altar call because I'm not ready to forgive my father. I don't think I can. You don't understand who he was. You don't understand what he did. You don't understand how abandoned I felt. You don't understand how broken and damaged I am. And I don't think I can do it. I just want to pray in agreement with you. Jesus. Oh my God. We that's how we get delivered in God is we come to God and we're honest. And we just say, God, I I hear it and I see that it's a truth, but I don't want to forgive my father. I don't want to because he's not worth it. God, I don't want to forgive him because that makes it okay what he did. I don't want to forgive him because I'm that hurt. He doesn't get to get off like that. God, I'm hurt. Oh, my God, the rest of us, we need healing. We need healing. We need healing. We need healing. The Son of Righteousness arises with healing in His wings. And He goes on to tell us what that healing is. It's for restoration in the hearts of the fathers to the children, in the hearts of the children to the fathers in the name of Jesus. Fathers, fathers. Come, let's seek God, that our hearts be restored to our children, that we don't seek after jobs, we don't seek after money, we don't seek after success, or feeling some emotional need in us from somewhere else in the world, but that we honor our role as Father. It's okay to be honest with God and say, God, I actually think I love this more than being at home with my kids. It's okay to be honest because it's the truth. But God, restore my heart.